title is, Whom Shall I Fear? And I knew I was going to be speaking for a while, and um, I had another title picked out, another topic. And a couple weeks ago, something had happened, and uh, just went through an attack, and just, I was walking that night, and I was singing over and over a song, Whom Shall I Fear? And I'm a bit slow at times. So I was almost back to the house before I said, God, are you wanting me to share on that? Like, yes. What do you think I've been showing you? We have opportunities constantly to fear. Get out of bed, and even before you get out of bed, you think about what's going on in your life, what's going on in the nation, the world, the school, your workplace, your family. There's opportunities to fear. And I thought, well, I was so interested on phobias. I went to the internet, here's a list of phobias. No, I'm not teaching on all of them, but look at this. Anything you can imagine, you can have a phobia of. You can have a fear of, fear of flowers. Imagine this, fear of flutes, fear of garlic, fear of ghosts, fear of marriages, fear of not being married. Um, Fear of having kids, fear of not having kids. On and on, fear of insanity. I don't have the fear, I just walk in it, you know. I could go on and on. And they seem irrational at times, you know, to listen to some of these. But think about your own fears. Are those irrational to other people? You know, who would be afraid of storms? Huh, Aaron? Well, we both went through that, huh? <laughs> so there's those common fears that, just natural fears. If your house is on fire, it's natural. You're going to be afraid trying to get everyone out. You know, if your child's not home, they're past their curfew, a little anger, a little fear, right? So there's those natural fears. Standing up here, natural fear. And then there's the godly fear, and it talks about in the Bible having a fear of the Lord. That's having that reverence, that awe of him, recognizing that he is God, he is the one true God, there is none like him. And then there's that phobic fear, that fear that consumes us. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. That fear that consumes us, it drives us, it seizes our heart. It seizes our heart so that that's all we see and all we know. The circumstances, they become so magnified in our lives that it steals our peace. It steals our joy. And it determines even the direction that we're going to go in. Whether we're going to go on with life, whether we're going to go on into the things that God has for us, whether we're going to trust God for the healing, whether we're going to trust God for the ministry, whether we're going to trust God for the salvation of our family, whether we're going to trust God for any of those things, or whether we're going to give in to the fear, let it consume us to a point that it robs us of our health, robs us of relationships, robs us of our trusting God, robs us of our peace. Fear is a deadly enemy. You know, and I know we've all been there. A few years ago, not too long ago, and I just went through it. And I really think that it happened after Pastor Eric died because I thought, if such a godly man could just die like that, 
then what else can happen? And I let fear take over. And I remember having a dream, and in the dream there was a flood on, I live on Rittenar Road right down here, there was a flood. And I was able to make it up to 180 with another woman who uh, was going through a trial also. And we were safe there. We were elevated, and we were safe, and I knew that I had made it. And when I was going through that period, and it affected every area of my life, health-wise and just trusting God, believing in God. But while I was going through that, I kept declaring that dream. God, you said you would keep me safe. You said you would take me through, the, through this and to the other side. I remember there would be times that I would just walk the road and just declare God's promise. Because I didn't want the fear to control me. I wanted to control the fear in the name of Jesus. And there was a scripture from Isaiah 43. If you have your Bibles, your cell phones, whatever you use, you can turn to it, Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. I love this scripture. It says, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. And what I did is I went through and I proclaimed that over myself and I put my own name in it. And that is part of the 40 days, putting your name in the scripture. And it's a wonderful way to pray for yourself and to pray for others. But I was declaring this over myself and I would say, but now, thus says the Lord who created you, Nancy, he who formed you, Nancy, fear not for I have redeemed you, Nancy. I have called you by your name. Nancy, you are mine. And if we are God's, then what do we have to fear? The enemy is going to have to go through Jesus Christ to get to us if we are hidden in him. He says, we are his. Verse 2, Nancy, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. It doesn't say if you pass through the waters. We need to realize that there's a real live enemy out there. But also, the greater one lives within us. And it says, Nancy, when you pass through the waters. I doubt if your version says Nancy. <laughs> I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. Nancy, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Wow, what a promise. Nor shall the flame scorch you. Wow. Nancy, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Declaring that, getting that into my heart, it set me free. And not only from all the fears, but where I used to be tormented by storms, I was set free from that. There were days, and I know this sounds stupid, there were days that if I heard on the news that morning that severe weather was coming that night, I'd worry about it. And my brother, you know how older brothers can be, he said, um, Nancy, you still sit out on the stair steps crying at night when the storms come? I said, no, I'm down in the living room pacing with my dog back and forth. Fear can steal everything that God wants to do in your life if you let it. So we need to control it. There were a few quotations I found 
Um, the Duke of Wellington, you may remember him from English history, he said, the only thing I am afraid of is fear. Why? Because fear is a deadly enemy that takes God's best from us if we let it. Francis Bacon, a philosopher and scientist in the 1500s, says, nothing is terrible except fear itself. It consumes us. We let the fear become bigger than God. And it drives our lives. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, when he was inaugurated as president, it was during the Great Depression, and he said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And I love this one. It's an old German proverb. Fear makes the wolf bigger than he is. Think about that. Fear makes us think about all of the what-ifs. What if I have cancer? What if my kids never get saved? What if I don't find a husband? What am I going to do with this husband? Fear drives us and controls it. And God never intended for us to be overwhelmed by fear. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. That's God's promise. And if we as his children, as his kids, have fear, then we know it's not God's best. So where's the fear coming from? Well, we need to realize that we have a flesh. And if you don't have, think your flesh controls you, the last time God woke you up in the middle of the night to pray, what did you do? Rebuke the enemy from stealing your sleep? We have a flesh. And sometimes just the whispers of this world, of people, of experience, it plants things within our spirits. And it controls us if we don't allow Jesus Christ, to be the Redeemer and the Savior and the Deliverer. There's that world we live in. Listen to the news if you don't think the world tries to impart fear. And then there's the enemy. And regardless of how big and nasty we think he is, he is still subject to Jesus Christ. And guess what? Jesus lives in us. And so we need to rise up and take authority over the fear. We need to make that choice. And it may not come instantly. That fear may have been there for a long time. But what are we going to do? We're going to keep declaring the word of God. We're going to keep declaring who Jesus Christ is and who we are in him. We can decide to stay at home and just ignore everything. But where is that going to get us? Not, not anywhere near what God has for us. I'd like for you to turn to Mark chapter 4, a scripture most of us are familiar with. The winds and the storms and the disciples in a boat. Beginning with verse 35, it says, On the same day when evening had come... <clears throat> He said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. 
And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You have an instance here where they had spent the day in ministry. And then they get into these little boats at nighttime, and Jesus is one of the boats, and it begins to storm. And the wind is coming, and the rain is beating down upon them. And it's dark. The boats are beginning to fill up with water, and the disciples are beginning to get afraid. Because the one that was supposed to be in charge is asleep. Imagine that. Can you identify with the disciples? Well, after just telling you about the storms, yeah, I can. Um, also, with the panic, a few years ago, well, several years ago, we went on a cruise. And we decided to go on this tour in a glass-bottom boat to see all these fish out in the ocean. I have never been so sick in my life. The only thing I saw was the pelicans as I had my head over the side of the boat. So if you put a storm together with the motion sickness, can you just imagine? So I can see how the disciples would have been. They were not sure they were going to make it alive past that night. They panicked. There was fear. It didn't matter that they had been with Jesus, not just that day, but for days and days. And had heard his promises and heard his teachings. They didn't see Jesus awake. He was sleeping. They couldn't hear him. They couldn't receive comfort from him. And so they looked at the circumstances and they panicked. And they woke Jesus up. And he said... First, he rebuked the storm. Imagine that. And then he said, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? And if that wasn't enough, the disciples had just, the sea is calm, Jesus is awake. Now they're afraid of Jesus because of what he did. How many instances have we been in where the circumstances looked so dark? Maybe when your family's in a crisis, your marriage is in a crisis, your kids are doing their own thing. Maybe you've lost your job and the bills are coming in. Maybe the loss, the death of someone. Maybe you get that diagnosis that you don't want to hear. Maybe just past things in your life that you haven't been able to get free of and they continue to haunt you. Sometimes... Even those days are as nights, and it's pretty dark, and you don't see your way out, and you pray, and you pray, and you don't hear anything, and you don't see Jesus, and you wonder, Jesus, are you still there? What do we do in those periods? We call out unto Jesus, because we need to remember, as it says in Psalm 121, that Jesus never slumbers, he never sleeps. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And it doesn't matter if I see him. It doesn't matter if I hear him. His word is still truth. His word is still yes and amen. 
He is still our Redeemer, the one who bought and purchased us by his blood, who defeated the enemy for us, who brought forth resurrection in our lives as we've surrendered to him. He's our everything. There's that song, How Great Thou Art. He is the great one. And where Jesus took authority over the storm, if Jesus lives in us, then he tells us to take authority over the storms in our life. Declare the word. Take authority over the storm. And trust in him. What stood out to me in that scripture, and it's always stood out to me, is they were going to the other side. They didn't know if they were going to make it to the other side. They didn't know if they were going to make it to the next destination that Jesus had for them. Fear can keep you from the next destination. It can keep you from the other side. It can keep you from the promised land. If, you're, if you remember the story in Numbers 13, 14, there were the Israelites, and God had given them a promise that they were going into the promised land. And all along that journey, he had delivered them, and he had done miracles, and he was there for them. And before they go into Canaan, the word was, send 12 spies to check it out. Did it really matter what it looked like? God had said, it's yours. He had said, it's a land of abundance, flowing in milk and honey. It was God's promise, and God's promises are always wonderful. So the 12 spies went in, and you would think, they'd look around and think, oh, Thank you, God, for what you're giving us. But ten of those spies, they looked at the giants in the land. And they came back and gave the report, we're just little grasshoppers compared to them. We're not going back. And they stirred up such a, a ruckus that they would not listen to the reports of Caleb and Joshua, who said, God has given us this land. He's told us to go and possess it. They looked into the natural instead of by the spiritual. And as a result of that, the ten spies never got to enter into the promised land. Neither did those that stirred up the ruckus. But much later, the two that trusted God were able to go in and possess and claim what God had given them. Now, we have promises in our life, promises that have come forth from the Word of God, that God's spoken to us in our prayer life, and so on. And God says, are you going to let those giants keep you out? Are you going to be robbed of what God has given you? Fear can keep us from going forth. God has another side, and he says, trust me. Trust me with that bad diagnosis you've gotten. Trust me with that layoff notice you've gotten. Trust me from those nasty remarks from your family members. Trust me because I am God. I will take you to the other side. You know, several hundred years earlier than that, David had to make the same proclamation. Who am I going to trust? Who shall I trust? Who shall I fear? You know, he could take it both sides. 
And he decided he wasn't going to walk in that fear. He was going to walk in that trust. If you look at Psalm 27. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And before we go any farther, we need to understand that David was in a great battle in his life at this point. It doesn't say what, but it was a great battle. And a battle that could end in his death. And he starts out by saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. What are those dark places? Have you ever been in a place so dark that you couldn't see anything? Years ago, we went to Mammoth Caves, and you're deep in the caves, and they turn off the little lights just so you can experience the darkness. And it was off just probably a minute, but can you imagine just the fear that kind of rose up in me? Wow. You know, my mind begins to think, what would happen if the electricity would go out? And well, I'm sure they have generators and flashlights and stuff. You'd never find your way out of here. Your mind takes off. But in the midst of that dark storm, in the midst of that chaos in your life, in the midst of staring down those giants and those mountains and, and everything that the enemy can throw against us, David said, Lord, you're my light. You're my light and my salvation. And salvation isn't just saying, Lord, I have the promise of eternal life. That is wonderful. But Jesus is the Lord of abundance. And he says we have abundant life here on earth. That he died so that we could have life. He died to become our redeemer. Which means he's already defeated the enemy on our behalf. He shed his blood for us. And took the beating for us. And went to hell for us. So that we could live resurrected with him. That the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He's the strength of my life. You know, when we're going through those times of fear, we feel pretty weak, don't we? Inadequate, powerless. It's a situation in which we have no control. But David said, you're my strength, Lord. You empower me. You get me through. Once again, of whom shall I be afraid? I love this imagery that can come forth with the next verses. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh. My enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Think of that. That's God's promise. The enemies, it may feel like they're eating at our flesh. They're breaking our bones that we're so overtaken that we can't go on. But the word of God says... My enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this I will be confident. A confidence David had. It's not that God stopped the battle. He took David through the battle victorious. And David was able to say, Lord, you are my strength. You are my salvation. You are my redeemer. You are my deliverer. Even though this house may be shaken, it will not be overtaken. Because I'm confident. I put my faith in you. 
David said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. In the midst of that battle, David's heart was one in which he wanted to be in God's presence. He wanted to be right with God. He wanted to seek God. He just wanted to dwell in God. Wow, that's confidence. You know, I know I've shared this before, but it makes me think of my father. He's been dead. It'll be going on 20 years, I think, next month. And I remember a few days before he died, and he was lying in bed, and he called me over to pray with him, and I thought, well, he wants me to pray for him. That wasn't the way it was. He took my hands, and he began to just pray prayers of thanksgiving for his family, for God watching over him, for God touching him. And that's a moment I'll never forget because there's a whole lot more he could have prayed for as cancer was ravaging his body. But it was a prayer of thanksgiving. That's having confidence in God, knowing who you are, where you're going. That was what David wanted. He goes on to say, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. You imagine this, that it's like God takes you and he puts his arms around you and there's that hedge, there's that refuge and the fighting is going on all around you, but you're hidden in God. It says in Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He keeps you in him. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's there for us. We need to have that confidence that he's there. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Imagine singing in the midst of an attack. David said, I will lift up my head. I'm not going to let it be bowed over. But I'm going to lift up my head and I'm going to proclaim, Lord, your God that I can put my trust in you. You have never, ever let me down. When I stood before Goliath, God, you were there. When I've gone through battles, Lord, you were there. And I will offer up praises to you. It was a sacrifice. Do you think David's flesh wanted to do that? No, when I am going through a trial, I just want people to come and commiserate with me. Oh, yeah, it is really bad. You know, when you're having one of the pity parties, you don't want people to say, God's going to bring you through. Yes, but what's he going to do to this person that hurt me? Offered up the sacrifice. A sacrifice isn't just something you don't want to do when you give it. It's the offering of your best. And in the time of a trial, one of the best things is to offer up that sacrifice of praise because you're proclaiming, Jesus, you are Lord. You will take me to this other side, your Lord. goes on to say, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. 
for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I love this verse. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David was crying out to the Lord from his heart. God, in the midst of this battle, teach me. In the midst of this battle, don't forsake me. And then I would have lost heart, God, if you would not have been there. Cling to him. The last, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, if a day goes by and you don't see that breakthrough, keep waiting on the Lord. Keep proclaiming him as God. Follow the examples that we've just went through of praying your heart, declaring the word of God over you and over others, rebuking the storms that come into our lives, praying, clinging to one another. Don't isolate yourself, but draw to God. That's how we get there to the other side. You know, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What's our declaration? Are we going to have that confidence in Jesus Christ? Or are we going to have that confidence that, yeah, the fear's there. And we may or may not get through. It says in Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? What things? Well, anything that would try to come against us and steal God's best and God's plans from our lives. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? With whatever you're going through, then I would challenge you. If you need to repent, repent. But draw to God. Begin to declare his word. Begin to pray it over your life. Begin to offer up the sacrifice of praise. Get busy in the kingdom. What better way to break free than to serve the Lord? And God says he will meet us right there. We need to remember that we are overcomers, not the overcome. We are called to be victorious, and that's where God wants us to be. And that's that we stand. I'm going to ask the home group leaders to come up and the prophetic team.